0: not all work environments are created equal and in this episode we're going to share with you how to thrive in a toxic work environment that is coming up with doris quintanilla need a judgment-free zone when it comes to your financial life Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for today's Latina who typically thinks English but feels her Latina culture through and through. I am your host, Jen Hempel, and each week we have down-to-earth money conversations from people in La Comunidad Latina that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. Lista? Let's do it. Hola, hola. I hope you are doing well. This is your host, Jen Hempel, and I'm excited and thrilled that you are here with me today. I have got a fantastic powerhouse with me today to introduce you to. Doris Quintanilla is on a mission to educate, empower, mentor, and effect change in the lives of women of color as a co-founder and executive director of the Melanin Collective. Doris has led community health education and youth education and leadership development programs in the United States, the Dominican Republic, Japan, Mexico, and Uruguay. Her other duties assigned by supervisors included diversity, equity, and inclusion training for boards of directors and staff, as well as establishing communities of practice, partnership building, and community organizing. From working with youth to young adults to seasoned professionals, Doris has over a decade in the nonprofit sector and is now teaching women of color how to survive toxic spaces. In this episode, you're going to learn the impact marching the streets, helping in fundraisers, and an abundance of determination had in her personal life. You're also going to learn her own experience in her work environment after suffering a concussion and her best tip to help you thrive in a toxic work environment. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Let's go meet this queen of her money. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. And it's always nice to have someone on the podcast that I've actually met in person. I don't always, you know, we live local, we're local to the DC area, we've been able to meet in person. So it's always fun to have someone on the podcast that I have physically met in person. And I am just so in awe with everything that you have accomplished. So I can't wait to get into it. But first, let's start with your money story. So tell us, Doris. How did you grow up? What did you see? What did you experience around money?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I think my story is pretty common. So we grew up, my dad is albino, which presented some difficulties in getting jobs, right? There's bias for people who have disabilities. So even though he's white looking and white passing, accessibility was a big thing so he ended up working and starting his own nonprofit with the Sisters of St. Joseph in Orange County and it, it was an extension of what he did in El Salvador so during the civil war in El Salvador he was in college you know they at the university they were organizing as students tend to do and his way of providing efforts was to help the campesinos learn how to read and write. Because you were, you know, the oligarchy owns everything, but they're also taking people's land by having them sign papers that they don't understand. And so he started by teaching people English. That was the initiative by the Sisters of Saint Joseph, and realizing that it's really hard to learn a second language if you can't, if you don't have a full grasp of the first language. So the program switched into teaching people analfabetas, so people who can't read and write in Spanish, to do so. And that's pretty much how I learned Spanish, but. That's why I started in nonprofits. I grew up in the nonprofit sector. And as you know, it doesn't make a lot of money. So even though it's a pretty good job, my mom cleaned houses my entire life. In the summers, you know, we had to go help her clean. In college too, it was like the most annoying thing <laughs> that we had to do, but we didn't have a lot. Um, My parents owned a house very young and lost it for several reasons. And so we moved into a two-bedroom apartment in Santa Ana, California, and it was everybody's home, right? So donde come uno, come cuatro, like where one person eats, four people eat. So we always had people over. We always, my mom, I think, shows her love through cooking. So she would just cook a lot and also to sell food, right? She was talking about entrepreneurship in Latina communities. Like my mom would cook tamales, pupusas, and pan, you know all these things that she learned in El Salvador. And that was additional income for the house. And I think that started after my dad's nonprofit decided to close down, they didn't feel a need for the work anymore. So Sisters of St. Joseph started funding it, right? So, you know, Orange County, California, it's super Republican, it was super racist. <laughs> and so they thought that it was, you know, this English initiative was more important. And so they ended up not funding the, the organization anymore. And So it led to a lot of changes in our lives. But yeah, growing up, we had people (laughs) like coming from El Salvador, from all places, and they would stay at our house until they could get back on their feet. So sometimes my siblings and I would be, you know, there's four of us, we would be in one room and my parents in the other room. Sometimes we'd all have to be in the same room while my uncles and the new person from El Salvador (laughs) was like getting their life together. So there was one bathroom, y'all. That was like the worst. So now all my siblings and I are just like, we own our own, like, we want our own space we will pay more rent to live by ourselves <laughs> to have our space but yeah and on top of that was an extra layer of taking care of family in el salvador right so my parents sent money to el salvador my mom sent it to her mom my dad sent it to his mom and my grandma on my dad's side was from a wealthy family and they had a panaderia and all that kind of stuff but you know they always needed money so At some point, my dad was supporting the entire household, which meant, like, other people's children as well. I don't know how people survive, right? Like, we don't get paid that much now, and I, like, barely have enough for myself, so I don't know how we were supporting family and then also sending money to El Salvador. Those remittances, uh, remittances really supported El Salvador to a point where the dollar became the main money, and the colon just disappeared, like... There's just so much money coming into the country. So that's kind of where we grew up. We had what we needed, like just enough, but the community came first. We marched in the streets, you know, they were trying to take immigrants rights away. Um, I remember all the fundraisers and stuff they did to send money back to El Salvador during the civil war still. and, And also how they celebrated when that was over, really hoping for change and this new, you know, this new world for everyone. So there was an abundance of determination, um, and stretching that dollar. But I think it really made me think about that. It's not just your money. It's for everyone, right? You need to support everybody because that's what community and family
0: means. Wow. 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 So basically, would you say that what you learn about money was based on observation or did, your, did you find your parents talking to you about money or was it just sheer just observation on what the, the example that they set for you?
1: Um, I think most of it was observation. They did make comments about credit cards, which I think is very common. It was like, don't get any credit cards. It's just debt that they were never going to pay off. So, you know, cash is king type thing. And they save their money, like the sock drawer, you know, like we had a bank account, but my mom always did that instead. Um, So I think it was just like, just in case we have this. So they also did um, we call them cundinas, but I think, Different people call them different things. I've heard, I think Mexicans call them tandas, but it's like that money pool, right? So it would be my mom and my aunt and a bunch of like 10 friends. And then they all put in a hundred dollars a month, pull a number and like this month, it's your month. It was really weird. It was super secretive. Like, don't tell anybody what we're doing, which was like, why, right? Like we were just like, why mom? But for them, it was like, we just, this is like a secret. We don't need to tell anybody. So I don't know if that was a pride thing or like, Weird thing, but it did that. I do remember being Kundinas, being like, "Okay, why are we whispering? Like nobody cares and nobody can hear you." Like I guess I don't know. (laughs) So I think it was mostly like observation and their um, fear of credit cards was the only things I remember.
0: Interesting. So I hear from basically on your story, I've heard basically community and family how important that was and supporting. You said the abundance of determination, which I love. So y'all really stretched the dollar. The love, and I'm seeing like, based on like what I know, you, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense. Your dad's experience in the nonprofit, it sounds like he's, you know, obviously that had a huge impact on you because you work in the uh, nonprofit world, as well as marching the streets and standing up and advocating for rights and civil rights and all that good stuff, which I see you. Stand up, you know, you're vocal about uh, certain issues.
1: All my parents' fault. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, but uh, it's, it's so, so good. And you, and you talked about fundraisers. And uh, I love that you shared about the pundina, is how you would call it. Because I have heard of those. I, I don't know how it's called in English, but I have heard of the communities just pulling that money together. And it may be from pulling a number. It may be just taking turns and someone's in need. You know, you go to that pool of money. So I have heard that. Love that. So, we, you know, I've already alluded that your upbringing has definitely uh, had an impact on what you're doing today. So, tell us what is it that you're doing today? What is the work that you do?
1: Yeah. So, I worked 10 years in the nonprofit sector. Uh, and I, like, officially, right? Because you volunteer and do all this stuff for free, but it doesn't count. <laughs> but, officially, with a paycheck 10 years. And I, you know, was determined to work for the community, like community good. I worked as a community health educator in Oakland, California with La Clinica de la Raza after college. Um, I did peer health education. I ran a youth advisory board. It was really teaching young people how to advocate for yourself, how to take care of yourself, and then also how to make an impact. And so it was basically working with youth that were me, first generation, Mexican, Salvadorian kids. We had some black kids in the program, but because of, you know, what you name things is really important. La Clínica de la Raza, we didn't get a lot of non Spanish speakers in the program. And you know, California's just really heavy with Mexican and Salvadorian people. So it it impacted me where I knew that I was gonna go into the nonprofit sector no matter what. Like I'm gonna graduate, I'm gonna work for nonprofits, I might do the United Nations, like all these things that were always focused on community action and building power. And so I did a little bit of Amigos de las Americas where I volunteered for a year and then I worked for them also recruiting, building partnerships getting more youth to Latin America to have these experiences and build like community-based initiatives but you know there's only so much a like 15 year old can do
0: but yeah it really well, you've done a lot <laughs> there's only so much I'm like well, excuse me <laughs> you know like don't
1: get pregnant there's other options so all the things that your parents like didn't want to talk to you about, it was like a really cool way to talk to students about sex ed and saving money and all these kind of things. Like, I think the saving money piece wasn't taught to us. Like, I don't think we have an opportunity to save money if you are living paycheck to paycheck and then some. So I felt like at some point as an adult, I was like, wait, I don't know how to save. I don't know how to budget. Like, I live in a nonprofit budget that's like zero, right? Like, it's there's not enough to pay my bills and do all this stuff so I always had like several other things I was doing other jobs that like paid some money you know you have to hustle to, <laughs> to make ends meet and to live the life you want to live so um during my time at Amigos I had a accident where I had a concussion they didn't take care of me and so I think that lot ended up resulting in um, lasting impacts right so it took a long time to get the help that I needed and by the time that happened they decided to fire me that my position was no longer necessary, even though I was in this big training in Oaxaca, Mexico, where I got injured leading a national training because I was so good at my job. I was promoted right after. And then in December, they were like, just kidding, you're taking too long to heal and we don't want you here anymore. So I had this you know, dream job of like traveling Latin America, doing what I thought was great, working with young people and not being happy, right? Like I was underpaid, overworked. And then on top of it, I had an injury. And feeling this real like feeling of what I do doesn't matter, right? Like my, if I'm not able to produce, right, the capitalistic view, if I'm not able to produce, then what is my worth? And going through this journey of healing, slowing down, and then also realizing that my work is not everything and that I'm still a human being. And that I should center myself, right? I feel like we have, as women of color, we're taught to like sacrifice.
0: Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you.
1: Ourselves for everybody else. And that was a time where the universe was like, you can only center yourself. You don't have capacity to center anybody else. And so I had to do that. Um, And went back into sexual reproductive health, another nonprofit, which was also super toxic once my supervisor left. So she was a great ally, amazing white woman, lesbian. So I think it like, you know, the more challenges you have, the more you learn to be a better human being. So she sometimes, and so she was a great ally, but she ended up leaving thinking she would work for the Hillary administration. And the workplace just turned into a horrible place of like, we had Trump outside and we had Trump inside of the organization. And that's where I met my co-founder. And we were both kind of like, this. Is, we were so disappointed, right? Like we were in this, we were fighting for sexual reproductive health. And now we're faced with this like different organization that we both didn't sign up for. And that wasn't what it was, right? Until, until the elections happened and all that. So we started talking about what does it look like to stand up for yourself? Like, why are we isolated on purpose? Why are we given different information? And so we kind of organized. We wrote a letter to the board. We had this man fired after 22 years of serving in the organization. Of course, they didn't say it was because of us. They were like, he's going to grad school at 65. We're like, yeah, that's a totally believable reason. And so from that, like actually seeing the impact, we were kind of like, we need to do this everywhere. We need to talk about toxic workplaces because nobody's doing that, right? We should be so grateful that you have this job that you can't say anything and you can be abused. You can be injured. You can do all these things and people can throw you away. So we created the Melanin Collective to have these difficult conversations, to build power within women of color. Um, There's a lot of division. Divide and conquer worked a long time ago, and it still works. So the more we're infighting, the less that we pay attention to the structures that are oppressing us. And so we built the MC to talk about building better relationships within um, women of color Demanding what you need at work, being aware of what are the patterns, right? And that we don't internalize all that because at some point you start to internalize and believe all the things that they're telling you. And then at some point too, you start acting out the same patterns to other people. So we become the oppressors, right? And so really talking about how do we prevent that from happening? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we stand up for ourselves? Um, So that's what the MC is about. On one hand, we work with women of color, trying to survive toxic workplaces, through events, workshops, networking. And then we, on the other hand, we consult with organizations to help them be healthy and equitable so that they can recruit, retain, and promote women of color at all levels of the organization. Yeah, and that's what we do.
0: It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. lot what you do. So what would you say for someone that currently, the person that's listening right now, that may, she may be dealing with a toxic work environment, what would be one tip that you can give her to help her thrive? Yeah,
1: I would say use your benefits to go to therapy. Like there are so many things you can do, right? You can network and you have a better resume, you can find a coach, but really the way it is affecting you, you're not gonna know until you leave. The trauma that's inflicted, we don't even call it trauma. You think it's stress, you think it's anxiety, but once you leave, you really can see the impact that it's had on your mental and physical and spiritual levels, and so just taking care of yourself. People talk about self-care as like you know doing your nails and taking a bath. I, we talk about self-care as going to therapy, having conversations with your supervisor. What you can and cannot do, setting clear boundaries. Sometimes we're afraid to do that, and that's what you learn in therapy. So I think it's a my one tip would be like start with yourself. You can only control yourself. Work on yourself, and you can only do that through therapy.
0: Right, right. Mental health is is huge. It's so important. Love that. So you, I mean, I've just, in, in all, I loved, I love your story, how you grew up, everything that you've learned and you took in, and I'm loving what you're doing now. So let's shift gears a little bit about uh during the month of November, we're talking about all about Latina Equal Pay Day. So you obviously have had a great, good bit of experience in the nonprofit sector. And in, in the corporate world, you hear about these different companies that are taking on some initiatives towards lessening that gender wage gap, so what have you seen in the nonprofit sector? Have you seen some of these initiatives or discussions, or what have you seen happening? Yeah.
1: I think right now, because there is this presidency, people are really looking at diversity equity and inclusion as a whole within their organizations. so I do see the progressive movement. Asking themselves, are we as bad as they are right um, so I think that's why we're really busy with consulting because they're having these conversations where it's more than just hiring people of color is how do we actually pay them what they're worth, put them in a pipeline to promotion, put them on boards you know, as CEOs and managers right senior level positions all of that is being I see that effort happening um, in the progressive movement, which I think is great. I've also seen funders now holding money back or asking more questions about what are you doing to recruit, retain, and promote people of color within your organization? So I have seen organizations do like pay, um, pay surveys and trying to make sure that people are getting paid in their organization correctly. But I think the key here is like pay equity. It's not just a survey to see like, you're getting mm-hmm. paid, like what it's, what it's worth in DC, but are you actually paying Latinas 54 or what is it now? 53 cents to a dollar. um, right. And that question, right, that's where people are like, oh, I think that extra layer is not being addressed yet. But I definitely am organizing. Um, I think that for this Latina Copa I'm extra upset because they pushed it back to November 20th, which is interesting, right? So if we were earning 53 cents last year on November 2nd, and now it's 53 cents on November 20th, then that means we're now earning 52 cents. You know, like this is ridiculous. So you didn't want to lower the number. So we're going backwards. I right. think all of the Latina led organizations right now need to organize and we need to have some kind of form and some kind of open letter of like, this is what it takes to keep us in your organizations and we demand that you pay us. Like, this is going backwards for us and it is not okay.
0: Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it needs to be addressed just because uh, I don't have the stats right in front of me, just because the power that we are in the future or we have and in, in the future that's growing that we have in the economy is significant.
1: I, like I said, I don't
0: have the stats, or I don't, and I don't want to misquote it, but it definitely needs to be addressed. And I think at one point they're not going to have a choice; it's, they're going to uh-huh. be forced to address it. So, thank you, thank you so much for sharing all that you shared, Doris. And now we're going to have some fun with what I call the cheese Express. So, I
1: love cheese.
0: Yeah, nosotros nos gusta quismosear, uh, but it's all positive. We don't do negative gossiping uh-huh. here. So we're gonna learn five random facts about you. Uh, you are from El Salvador. What is your favorite El Salvadorian food? Obviously, pupusas de arroz, revueltas.
1: So the chicharrón, queso, beans, those are the best, but it takes very specific people to know how to make it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. And can I, um, I'm going to confess here. I have never had a pupusa.
1: No way.
0: Wow, you're in DC. I know, I haven't yet. I know, shake your I eyes. Like, oh. <gasps> yeah, don't don't fall back. What is one thing that not many people know about El Salvador that you are proud of?
1: Ooh, that is a really good question. I think I want to say that we're warriors. I mean, we've been through so much. There's been this genocide of people, our indigenous people. And there's right now this push to like touch back on our roots. So there's a bunch of young people asking like, who were our indigenous ancestors? And how do we bring the language back the culture back? Um, So I think that uh, I was reading about that a few weeks ago. And I'm like, that is exactly what we need to be doing getting back in touch with who we really are and not this like colonized, you know, Spanish version of Mm -hmm. ourselves. So that is what I'm really most proud of. And also, they just elected a really progressive president. So I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens.
0: Love it. What is one word that describes you? Brazen. Love it. And your favorite household chore? Just random, I know. Oh, that's good. Like none of them? I'm just kidding.
1: I hate the dishes with a passion. Laundry is kind of annoying. I really think. um, I think, you know, the Saturday morning Latina clean where you have the blast music and you just deep clean everything, like it's very cathartic and de stressing. (laughs)
0: Love it. And if you had a magic wand and could change one thing, either about yourself, someone else, or the world, what would it be? Mm. What would that change be? I
1: think it would be for the world. And I would say empathy, like have people understand what empathy is and looks like and feels like, um, because that would change a lot of other things.
0: Yes. And we definitely need that these days. Definitely. Bueno, chica. Doris, it's been so much fun chatting with you today. I've loved everything that you shared. I keep doing what you're doing. You are just amazing and inspiring, and I love everything about you. So I appreciate you hanging out with us today. Isn't Doris phenomenal? I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and that it inspired you in at least one way. I know it has for me. You can connect more with Doris over at themelanincollective.org. And there you can learn all about her business and what they do because they do some fantastic work. Now, the reina of this week is Christina for hitting her next big milestone in her retirement accounts. She is such a go-getter and I am so proud of you, Christina. So congratulations. If you want to nominate someone who you feel should be recognized, you can submit your nomination over at JenHempill.com forward slash Reina of the Week. Of course, this mujer, this woman can be anybody and doesn't have to be someone who's currently listening to this podcast because after all, we all love to be recognized and it always feels good to be recognized for our efforts. Now, I do need a favor from you and I hope that you can help. Every year, I do a survey to collect some demographic information about you, and it will take maybe seven minutes of your time, and simply for submitting your answers, you will be put in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift card. Just think, that can be some holiday money to spend on you or a family member or a friend. You can do that over at jenhempill.com forward slash podcast survey. Again, that's jenhemphill.com forward slash podcast survey. I will make sure to have this link in the show notes. Next week, we will meet this month's Reina Crew where we will discuss Latina Equal Pay Day. So don't miss it. Also, I recently partnered up with Himalaya, which is a podcast listening app, as I have loved not only the app, but the team behind it. So if you aren't already, be sure to listen to this podcast on the Himalaya app. It's free and be sure to use the following link, which is Himalaya.com forward slash dinero or dinero. That way they know I'm sending you their way. What is cool is that you can not only create playlists, but it gives you recommendations of podcasts just for you based on your interests. In addition, I will be hanging out in there in a new edition of this podcast called The Cafecito Lounge. It's just $7.99 a month. And by joining The Cafecito Lounge, only found on the Himalaya app, you will have access to open office hours to ask me your pressing money questions. Uh, We will have a deeper discussion on the latest episode, and you will have access to our monthly money challenges. You can try the Cafecito Lounge for free for 30 days with using the code DINERO. So again, the code is DINERO and you can go to Himalaya.com forward slash DINERO to download the app and follow me on the app and then use the code DINERO to get your free first 30 days for the Cafecito Lounge. So I can't wait to see you there. That is a wrap for today. I want to thank Doris for joining us, for being so transparent and sharing such a great story and such great tips. Be sure to check out the show notes on where to find Doris and more at jenhempill.com forward slash 196. Also, don't forget, if you love this episode or this podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you share it with a friend family member, co-worker, or even a stranger. Nunca se sabe, you never know when someone is in pain in their financial life. And just the sheer sharing of this podcast or this episode may be the push or inspiration they need to move forward. Until then, stay consistent on those money actions and habits so you can not only be the reina of your money, but love your dinero more. You've got this, tú puedes, nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I will talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.